Good morning. The scripture reading this morning will be 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 15. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 15. And it reads, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you today. I'm very grateful for your presence this morning. Thank you for the beautiful singing that we've had today and the wonderful time of worship. For those of you who are visiting with us, we're always very happy to have you, and we encourage you to come back whenever you possibly can. We're delighted that you're with us for the beautiful singing, the prayers, and those who've led us in worship. We're always very grateful, and I'm sure we're ready now to enter into this portion of our worship service where we remove the cares of life and the frustrations of life, and we think about and focus on the inspired Word of God. Tonight, I want to uh, be with you and speak about the one faith. The book of Ephesians is called the Queen of the Epistles by many expositors, and right in the middle of that book, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, is the statement by Paul, the one faith. And I won't talk about that tonight. I hope you'll be with us tonight at 6 o'clock when we examine God's Word very carefully in that regard. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit today about the great fires of life and how we face them. And I'm sure every time I stand before this audience of people or any audience of people, there are those who are facing the fires of life and the difficulties of life. There are so many that we face from time to time. I read the story of Thomas Edison who had a fire in his office. The fire was rather devastating after they put the fire out. Edison went back to the office. He was rummaging around through the remains, trying to salvage whatever he could, and he came across a bundle of letters tied with a string. He undid the string. He opened up the bundle, and he was going through it, and right in the middle of the bundle was a picture of himself. He took a piece of charcoal, and he wrote on the back of it, the fires didn't touch me. Well, I don't know that I can say The fires of life have touched me. Have the fires in life touched you? I believe it probably has. None of us are exempt from the fires of life. Sometimes I think about the problems of life and the difficulties of life. Have you ever been to Kansas? Well, I have. Kansas is real flat. And you can be walking out there all on level ground. But even there, the wind can chap and the sun can bake the face, 
and you can have difficulties walking there. Sometimes life is like that, even when it's all on a level playing field and everything's going just the way it normally does. We still can face difficulties and problems and the fires of life. Have you ever been to Colorado? I have. You walk in some of the mountains up there in the mountain ranges and it seems like every step you make is a step up. And it gets to be hard work after a while when you're hiking or walking, you're stepping up. The next step is another step up. The next step is another step up. And even when you're going down, you have to be careful because you're going down at such a steep grade, you could slip or stumble. Life can be that way, can it? Seems like every step is a step up. Every step is a hard step to make. And even when you're going down, you've got to be careful because problems, difficulties can cause us to stumble. Sometimes we'll hear the news from the doctor we didn't want to hear. Sometimes, one that's in the hospital. Sometimes it'll be someone, a loved one, who's passed away. Some kind of difficulty in life. Sometimes life is like just a hard step up every step of the way. The fires of life. You ever walk through a swamp? Well, I have. You walk through a swamp and the clay is so thick and so tight around your shoes that if you fight with it, it'll pull the shoe right off your foot. And it seems like life sometimes can be that way. It can be so tight and press around us so much we don't know which way to go. We don't know how to fight it. We don't know how to decide to go this way or to go that way. If you go to Middle Tennessee, you're going to see a lot of hills. Hills up and hills down. You walk to the top of the hill, but guess what? There's another one to go up. You go up that hill and get over that way. And you got to cross that one. It seems like there's always another hill you're going to have to cross. It's not a mountain like Colorado, but it's a hilly land. That There's another one after that one and another one after that one, and sometimes life is that way. It feels like it's just one hill after another, one difficulty after another. And we get tired of facing it, and we get tired of the problems what we have to go through. One hill after another. Life can be that way. I can't say with Edison, the fires didn't touch me. I think the fires have touched me, and I think the fires have touched you. Job chapter 5 and verse 7, man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. That's the way life is. The New Testament has a approach to the matter of the fires of life. And that's what I want to look at today from the standpoint of our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I first want to talk about the passage itself. And then I want to look at the difference in the paragraph. And to try to summarize it in my own mind, Paul is saying, now, you've got to look around you when you have these troubles. But yet there's another spatial look that we should have, and that's to look ahead of us when we have these problems. And when we face the, prior, the fires of life, then we've got to look above us in order to work our way through the, and the tragedies and the struggles that we face. So that's where we're going today. We're going to look, first of all, at the passage itself. Someone asked me, why do you go over the context so much? Why do you review so much with regard to the passage that you're studying? And you're right, I do spend a lot of time with the context. I look at passages before and after the verse that we're studying. 
And sometimes I'll look at passages that are related to the verse. Some of them might even be in another book. But I'll tell you why I do that. I don't want to miss the left turn. Now, I don't know if you're family, but sometimes when Carol and I will get in the car and we'll go someplace, my wife tells me how to drive. Now, I don't know if yours is that way or not. Sometimes mine's that way. Most of the time, she's right. And she'll tell me, now, you need to make the left turn right there. Oh, you missed the left turn. And she's probably right. I missed the left turn. And so I do need help guiding me and directing me with regard to my driving. My driving skills are not the best. I try to focus on my driving. But sometimes I miss the left turn. You see, when the Word of God comes into this ear right here, it's in my head. Now, I've got it in my head. But I want that Word to make a I want it to go straight down from my head right into my heart. Now, if I don't make that left turn, it's going to go in this ear and go right out the other. Don't miss the left turn. Go over the context. Go over the passage. Because you and I want this Word of God not to just be in our head, but we want it to make a left turn and go right down in our heart and change our lives and change lives from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God so that we can be more like God's only begotten Son who loved us and died for us so that we can have eternal life with Him forever and ever. Is there something in the context that'll help me make the left turn, that'll turn from my head, go right into my heart, and make me a better child of God? The first thing he talks about in this particular passage are attitudes. Attitudes about the Scripture. And then he talks about attitudes about our suffering. That's where I'm at today. Attitudes about suffering. Attitudes about the Scripture. He says, now I wasn't a shady card dealer when I taught you the Word of God. Now Satan is. That's his attitude. The minions of Satan are like the used car salesman out here trying to work a deal, trying to take advantage of you. But Paul said in the first part of chapter 4, I was never that way. I don't handle the Word of God deceitfully. I, deceitfully. I handle the Word of God properly the way God wants it handled. Attitude toward the Scripture. Then he comes to the attitude about suffering. And that's where we are this morning. And his first attitude about suffering is this treasure that he talks about in verse 7. You and I know I love the Word of God. You and I know, and I know you do too, you love these words. Because we're studying not only just words, but we're studying the mind of God. And when we look at these words and we understand them like they should, we, they should be understood, then it makes all the difference in the world. He says, now we've got this treasure in an earthen vessel. Well, what's the treasure? Verse 7. The treasure is the gospel of Christ. And brethren, it is a treasure. It is a treasure. Why well, remind you of what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 13. 44 through 46, about a treasure hid in a field. And a man sold everything he had in order to acquire the field. Here's a pearl of great price, not another pearl like it at all. And a man found that pearl, and he sold everything he had to acquire that asset. That's the way the gospel is. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's a treasure because I've got pardon of sin because of it. It is a treasure because I have peace with God because of it. It is a treasure because I have fellowship with so many brothers and sisters in Christ because of it. It is a treasure because I'm going to go to heaven because of it and my faithful obedience and compliance with it. But the treasures in earth and vessels. 
Why would he say that? Why would he say that the treasure is in a clay jar? A clay jar is fragile. A clay jar is something that could easily be broken. And you've got this inestimable, valuable treasure in a clay jar. Well, he's trying to tell us there that the treasure didn't come from the human being. The mere human did not acquire, think up, develop, originate the treasure. The wonderful treasure came from God and the mind of God. No one is going to receive a direct operation from the Holy Spirit today. And no one is going to be told directly what he must do in order to live the godly Christian life and be pleasing in the sight of God today. He's got to learn it from the Word of God. And we go to the Word of God and we learn about the treasure. But the treasure's in earthen vessels. It's in clay pots telling everyone, I didn't think this treasure up. It's not the result of smart men coming together with regard to the treasure. It is a result of God Almighty conveying that great revelation into the hands of men by inspired apostles and prophets. And now we read their instruction and their teaching from the pages of the Bible and we apply it from our head and put it down into our hearts. It's our attitude about suffering that he begins to get at. And then this remarkable passage. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Afflicted. You don't know what he means by that word afflicted. We're really pressed in. Really pressed in. But we still got room to move. We're pressed in on every side. But we still got room to move. We're afflicted in every way. You see, that sort of gets more at the idea. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Perplexed, well, sometimes we didn't know which way to go. Sometimes, Paul said, we didn't know which way to turn. We had problems on but we didn't give up in despair. We were not deserted. We knew that. He says, persecuted. And we understand what he means by persecuted. As the apostles of Christ were persecuted and persecuted severely for their faith, but not forsaken. They knew God was still on their side. And that the assets, the spiritual resources they needed were still available to them in order to accomplish the great work of spreading the treasure. Struck down, but not destroyed. Beaten down physically. Didn't kill us. We faced the fires of life, but yet I'm still optimistic through all of this particular matter, verse 15 and 16, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. He's very optimistic about it, even though he talks about the fires of life and the difficulties of life, and the problems and the fires touching him, still he says, I'm optimistic about the prospect of life. How can he make that statement? How can that be? Now I'm trying to go from the head down to the heart. Now I'm trying to make application to my life. Now that I understand what this paragraph's all about, and I understand a goodly portion of the chapter, now I'm prepared to make an application to change my life to be more of what God wants me to be. And the first thing he says, you got to look around. You got to look around. 
And that's the point that he's part of the passage he's talking about, particularly verse 8 and verse 9. You've got to see the situation as an opportunity. It's an opportunity that I'm going through because I know what's happening. Other people are watching. And other people are watching how I handle this situation. I got a difficult problem. Whatever the fire of life is for you, it's a difficult problem. But I can handle this situation with God's help, and people are watching. And it's sort of a way of effective lesson that others can learn from the difficulties that I'm facing. I'm facing these problems. But others are seeing me face these problems. And how I face these problems, let them see Christ living in me. As I look around, let me show them is my strength. My strength is coming from God. It is something that I truly want them to come to understand. Now notice in verse 13, he makes the point, I think very clearly, I'm using verse 7, verse 8, as the text of this particular point, really goes on down through verse 12 of the matter. So death is not at work in us, but life in you, verse 12. Now what he's saying there in verse 12, even though we face death, even though we face difficulties, even though we face the fires of life, it worked out for your benefit. It's a help to you. When you face the problems of life, other people are watching. What will they see? Is it an opportunity for us to teach them about Christ? Another opportunity for us to teach them about the greatness of God and what He's doing in my life and what He has done in my life? Go on down to our verse 15 again. For it is all for you. Whose sake? The other person's sake. He's talking about the church of Corinth right there. It's for their sake and for others. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Other people will see what we're going through and praise God for the wonderful blessings that He's given. And it'll bring glory to Christ. Look around when we face the fires of life. Bible's very positive, even in times of difficulty and trial. This is an opportunity, an opportunity for me to teach others just how much Christ means to me, just how much God cares for me. Even though I'm facing difficulties and trials of life, God really cares. Turn with me to a passage I know that you're very familiar with. It's found in Luke chapter 6. In fact, we could look at it from the book of Matthew, but I choose today to look at Luke's rendering of it, Luke 6, 22 and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, verse 23, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. When this suffering and difficulty of life come your, come your way, and you're suffering, not because of the wrong choices that you made, 
But simply because you're living in a sin-saturated world and suffering comes our way, rejoice when those particular matters take place. Here's an opportunity for me to teach others just how important Jesus really is to me. One of my favorite books would be the book of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 1, he has this wonderful statement um, with regard to living this particular life. And I could pick out a number. But in Philippians, a, a book that really talks about confidence and joy, written by inspiration from a man in prison, about 62, somewhere 64 A.D. As it is my expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I read for you Philippians 1.20. And you ought to mark at it. Because that's a Bible passage that says when you face the trials of life and the fires of life, look around. That other people can be benefited by the struggle. Other people can be benefited by the way you handle these particular matters. It is a matter of and encouraging one another along the way. Well, I want to talk about another portion of our chapter, and I uh, see here my, ah, there it is, thank you very much. There in uh, 4, I'm thinking now verse 13 and 14, and I want to spend some time with this because this is such an important passage of Scripture, and he's telling us not only look around, but look ahead. And you can see by the graphic already what I'm anticipating. Even though I'm suffering and I'm facing the fires of life, and the fires have really got me, the fires have really touched me, i got something I'm looking ahead toward. And you see that word there, resurrection, the resurrection. Paul makes mention of 14. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, he's quoting an Old Testament passage, Psalm 116 and verse 10, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That is is a powerful statement. And I'll tell you why. No matter what I face in this life, it's only a temporary measure because I, as a Christian, am looking forward to the day of resurrection. Now, did you catch what he said there in that particular passage? I'm in 2 Corinthians 4, and I'm in verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us. And you notice he used the word, know this knowing that Jesus was raised. And that's as much a fact as there is any fact in this old world. Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. Just like Jesus said he would be, just like the prophets said he would be, 
And indeed, he was just as the Bible says he was. But he's also going to raise us. We're going to be raised from the dead. And even though I face... There's something to look ahead down the road. The resurrection of this spiritual body. Now, I want to notice, and I don't know that it's the most obvious thing taught in the Scriptures, but I think he hints at it. And again, it's in verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you. And I think the pronouns there are important, along with the attached preposition, because he's saying there, I think we're going to recognize each other over there. Now, I know it's not the most prominent thing taught in the Scripture, and I know it's not the plainest point that's made in the Scripture, but I think he's implying it here. I think he's hinting at it. We're going to be raised with you. We're going to be raised together. And no matter what the fires of life may be, look ahead. Or something to look forward to down the road. Man, it's a hard time. It seems like every step I make is a step uphill. Man, it's bad news. I wish I hadn't heard that. Man, it's a problem that we're going to have to face. Feels like I'm walking through a muddy swamp. And I'm fighting every step. There's something to look forward to ahead. And it's just as real and it's just as factual as this old world in which we live. Simply because the unseen does not make it any less real. It's as real as this world. We're going to be raised with, with the saints one great day just as Jesus was raised. We'll be with him forever and ever. And It says will raise us also with Jesus and bring us there into His presence. Look ahead. When the days are dark and dreary and the time is difficult, we find problems ahead. So let's do that, and I have to be brief. I want to look a little bit ahead here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Isn't that a great chapter of God's Word? You can start over there about all the way down. So much is said with regard to this matter, the resurrection. So much is said with regard to their misconceptions about it at the church at Corinth, helping us to understand. Now, if you want to know more about, I think, the nature of the resurrected body, you want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But right here, the fact of the resurrection cannot be denied. I tell you this, verse 50, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And that word changed there is simply saying, by my nature, I'm going to be in this spiritual body. Because a physical body cannot inherit eternal life in this eternal kingdom. It's a spiritual body that will be fit for eternity that must be there. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. There's that word again. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable 
puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that it is written, Death swallowed up in victory. Yeah, you guessed it. That came right out of Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your string? He, he personifies death there. And he says, you know, death, you're going to be killed by your own sting. Death is sort of personified as a horrible monster. And death has been put to death by his own sin sting. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. It was the old law that taught us about that. The old law taught us about what sin was like and what sin was about and what sin looked like. It couldn't forgive us of our sins. We couldn't get forgiveness from sin through the old law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what an exhortation this is. Verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, here it is. Be steadfast, immovable, always about the Lord, knowing. There's that word know. When you see know in the Bible, focus in on that. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We got something to look for out ahead, down the road for us. And even though the fires of life are difficult for us and the problems of life are here and they're very real. And please, don't get the idea that I'm minimizing in any way how difficult they are because they are difficult. But we got something better to, to look forward to and I look forward to it. I look forward to the resurrection and a spiritual body comes out of that grave prepared for eternity where the saints of old come together to be with Christ forever and ever got another point here I think that we need to look at. We need to look above. And that really is here in verse 15, which I read a moment ago. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Look above. Look at what God is doing and accomplishing. Instead of looking always around ourselves and the problems here, we got to look above. And those bended knees, we turn toward him and ask for his help through the difficulties and the trials. We got to make sure that we're looking in the right direction. Now to help me understand that, remember that, I thought of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And here again, his critics and and that's certainly an important part of the book of Second Corinthians. And he begins to talk about them and comparing himself to them. And he has quite a Hebrew pedigree here as you read through Second Corinthians chapter 11. But I work my way on down through verse 22 and 23. And, and then I latch on to this verse about verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? The they refers to his critics at Corinth. Can you imagine criticizing the Apostle Paul, how he taught, and what he did, and how he conducted himself, but they did. I am a better talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes saved one. Now I tried to put a pencil to that, 
and you all correct me, but I think that's going to amount to 195 lashes. But now you check me on that. I hope you do. Three times I was beaten with rods. I think the lashes, he says, has reference to the Jews beating him. The beating with rods has to do with the Gentiles beating him. Once I was stoned. Three times. I was at Lystra. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger. From rivers, danger. From robbers, danger. Notice how I use that word over and over again. If you're using an older translation, it might be perils. Perils, danger. Either one of those words are good works there. And he uses it over and over again. And I think I counted eight times in these two verses. On frequent journeys in danger with rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. And danger from false brothers. Eight times in two verses he's talking about the parable, perils that he faced as an apostle of Christ. What made him do it? In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and without food, in cold and exposure, the fires of life were facing him. And apart from other things, daily pressure, and I, I think this means something too here, for us, the daily pressure on my, on me, of my anxiety for all the churches. I was concerned about their spirit. Who was weak, and I am not weak. Who was made to fall, and I am not indignant. It's a great Bible passage that talks about the sacrifice of an individual man who faced the fires of life. But how could he face them? He's looking up. He's looking above. He's looking to God. He's depending upon God's help. He's depending upon those prayers to God. To God lead him and direct him and guide him. There's the story one time of the mother who came out in the backyard, and she saw they had a bunch of baby skunks, and they were playing with those baby skunks. And she said, children, run! And every kid picked up a baby skunk and ran. We carry our skunks around with us. We forget to look up. We get down on our knees... And we get up off of our knees from our prayer, and we carry the skunk right along with us. We never give it up. We keep carrying it along. Lord, help me. Lord, help me get over this. And that's what we should do. That's where we should go. We should be down on our knees seven times every day, asking the Lord to use us, asking the Lord to forgive us, asking the Lord to help us through the difficulties and the trials of life. But so many times we say an amen to that prayer and we pick our baby skunk up and we carry it around with us and we never let it go. We got to look up. Where are you going to turn with regard to the great fires of life that face all of us from day to day? Edison said, the fires didn't touch me. I can't say that. 
Fires have touched me. Fires have touched you. We got to look up and turn those problems loose and not cling on to them. Brethren, look. Look around. Great opportunity. Great opportunity to teach other people. Look. Look ahead. Oh, if we could just come to understand as best we could what lies ahead for us as children of God. If we could just get our minds wrapped around that great day of resurrection, that great day that we'll be with God in glory and be with Christ. We could just get our minds wrapped around that. Look above. That's where our strength comes from. That's where our direction comes from. That's where the Word comes from. It comes from above. And so he says in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, So we do not lose heart. We will not faint. Because we're going to look around. And look ahead and look above. Life is 10% and 90% how you take it. How are you going to take the fires of life? There's not a time that I get up before this congregation where somebody is not going through difficulties, problems, facing suffering. It might be our own. It might be those from other people. Little girl was walking with her dad one time. She was holding his hand. She said, Daddy, your hand is so big, I can't hold it all. I can only hold on to your finger. But your hand is so big, it can just hold all of me. And that's the way God's hand is. It is so big. We can't even hold a finger. But he can in the hollow of his hand provide, care, protect. God cares for us. God loves us. Even when the fires of life come upon us. Now, surely anyone today will want to become a child of God if you're not one. Surely you will. You'll want to repent of your sins and confess your faith in Christ as the Bible teaches. It's what you need to do. Luke 13, 3. You want to confess your faith, repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. That's what the Bible teaches. Be baptized. We've had some wonderful uh, opportunities here Folks have been baptized. We're so grateful for that. We're thankful for every one of them. And there are more out there who need to obey the gospel by repenting and confessing and being baptized into Christ. And if you've been unfaithful to the Word of God, if you've been unfaithful to Christ as a child of God, rededicate your life to Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Confess your fault. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. And turn to God and be obedient to Him. And I urge you to do it now. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?